Welcome to How You Spend Your Days. My name is Colin. And I'm Tanya. And this is the show where we talk about debt, break down the stigma around talking about money, and give you a chance to follow my journey of becoming debt-free. And this week we have a really exciting episode because we're going to dive into the real numbers today. I can't wait to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, this is this, this the kind of episode that we've been teasing um, since episode zero in the trailer. And um, I think it's going to be good to kind of just take stock of um, what I owe. And my goal lately has been to try to freeze that and kind of keep it from growing um, so that we can start to talk about in future episodes, my goals around the numbers, um, look at expenses and consumption and just try to come up with a strategy that we can start to tackle um, that so since last week, um, I had some interesting developments kind of work-wise uh, in that uh, as a freelancer, work tends to be feast and famine. And we talked a little bit last week about me trying to figure out how to smooth that out. And it's funny when these things happen because my initial gut feeling for this show is just that I suddenly got too busy and I was a little panicked about like having to prepare for the show and and just you know general busyness that like my goal should be to focus on my work so I can, you know, make the money that I need to pay off my debt. Um, but I think the show is, is going to be very valuable as a tool for accountability and sticking to my goals. And so I think, uh, you know, keeping that promise to myself is important, um, so that we don't get through the holidays and then, you know, look back and say like, Oh, I wish I had started, you know, working out this, this muscle, um, sooner. Um, yeah. So I think, Focusing on on that feeling is going to be important. Uh, a big part of this too is not just the the facts about like this is how much debt I'm in and this is how much money I'm making. It's also going to be kind of that emotional side of things. Is like how how are things going um, week to week? What did what did that feeling feel like for you this week of of wanting to maybe quit the podcast already and focus on the work instead? Yeah, it was kind of um, a fleeting thing because, you know, we kind of have barely even started here. So quitting now seems premature, um, but it was just more of a general sense of overwhelm. Um, and we'll, I think part of it was that I had also just filed my um, my tax extension. So there were a whole bunch of things going on there where my debt numbers went up in doing that, um, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, it was just a general like sense of I need to buckle down. I need to do more things. And uh, even though rationally, I know this podcast is, is part of doing more things to focus on that. Um, it was a little bit of panic and just kind of a sense of not knowing how I'm going to, what things I'm going to tackle first. Uh, and that's what this whole show is supposed to be about. So um, thankfully I kind of like, you know, sat down and, looked at the fact that we have this on the calendar and that we need to need to ha- needs to happen and that you're going to be showing up to do it too. And that I need to honor that and, uh, and that it's passed. And I, again, think that it's going to be really important to see myself go through this and hopefully see other people go through that same um, progress and process of getting out of debt. Yeah. I think all of those things have the potential to be really powerful. It's so funny. I always tend to think in terms of like, okay, what's the very worst thing that could happen? And how can I mentally prepare myself for that? Like I'm thinking about the weeks where I can't be here or what if it's crickets? What if you don't hear from anybody for a while? Then what keeps you going? What keeps you focused on the debt payoff? Right. 
Yeah. And one of the things I've been thinking about is coming up with a a tool. And we've talked about maybe a way of visualizing what my debt looks like on the website uh, and creating maybe even like uh, whether it's a daily or a weekly blog post check-in, something that I can put out there that doesn't always have to be the podcast. The podcast, I'd like to make sure we stay weekly, but so that there's these other artifacts and, and things that um, that I can put out into the world that help me to see my progress. Cause I don't necessarily need, I guess the stories, uh, or feedback from other people as much as I know seeing f- progress is going to be helpful. And since we're just starting, there is no progress yet, right? We're still in this phase of setting things up and figuring out what progress is going to look like and what goals are going to look like. But, um, I'm not worried about the, the days that you're not able to join us. Um, we're going to make sure that we still have an episode out and have some other people who have various experiences, whether they're still in debt, um, student debt, credit card debt, just lots of different perspectives, I think will be good to have. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, it was a fleeting thing, but it was still something I've got to check in with my mental state each day as well and just make sure that um, that I have my wits about me. Yeah. And I, I think it's silly not to acknowledge that stuff and not to acknowledge the places where we try to defeat ourselves or where we feel fear. And so I'm, I'm glad that you were willing to talk about that here. Cause I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. So we'll definitely keep that up, um, week to week. Uh, hopefully it's not going to be this roller coaster of, uh, panic and then excitement and panic <laughs> every week, but we'll see. Um, you know, unfortunately things do come up and those are things that we'll hopefully talk about, you know, things like emergency funds and things to help mitigate some of those things and, um, you know, in the future, but, uh, I think let's, uh, what, what's been going on in your world? Oh, uh, in my world, I just finished reviewing copy edits on my book and I had a little mini vacation. Mark and I got a stupid, crazy deal <laughs> to go stay at a very nice place outside of Cabo in Mexico that was totally based on my old status with Starwood and Marriott from work travel that I'm going to lose very soon, but we have fancy status. So they said like, Hey, if you come do the timeshare tour, we'll give you this beautiful oceanfront room for $30 a night. We were like, yes, we will come do that. So, um, definitely an example of like ways in which society helps the rich get richer. It's like, here are people who could afford to pay for a hotel. Let's give it to them as cheaply as possible. Um, but yeah, no, when we get offers like that, it, it's very tempting. And now that we've got time to travel, since we aren't going to work every day, uh, we're trying to say yes to more stuff. So that was lovely. It was just like a quick five-day trip, uh, but it was beautiful and great. And now back in very cold Tahoe, it's feeling very different from the beach in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, winter is yeah. coming already. Did you guys end up buying into Timeshare? <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> It was actually, I'll say it was cheaper than we expected by quite a lot. We had only ever been to one timeshare pitch in the past and it was, we didn't actually get the full pitch. It was this brand new guy in Whistler when we were skiing and they were like, Hey, do you want like a hundred dollar resort gift card? And we're like, yes, lunch here is a fortune. We would love some help paying for that. And so we agreed to do this tour and the guy was just in a bad mood and he basically yelled at us and was like, are you ready to write a $50,000 check today? And we're like, uh, you didn't even tell us what you're selling. <laughs> so no. So then he got mad at us for entering into it in bad faith. I'm like, that is, this is, everybody knows how this works. This is a timeshare thing. You come for the incentive and then it's your job to convince us that we're fools to not consider it, which you have not done, sir. Um, 
but so the fact that he threw out 50,000 kind of anchored us to that level. So the Weston deal, they were offering like a week in very nice places in the US and Mexico and a few in Canada, I think, um, for like $10,000 upfront and then like 900 every other year in maintenance, which again is silly because those maintenance fees can go up year over year over year. There's no limit to that. But I still see why it's actually tempting to people that they're totally nice properties. They're in beautiful places and you get on, in some sense some inflation insulation. But yeah, no, no way in hell we're going to yeah. do that. We don't need to stay at the West End. We can stay at like a hostel and be totally happy. That's great. And then you got a little uh, vacation after all that work that you just put into your book. Yeah, it was nice timing. We didn't plan it exactly that way, but it was... Uh, it was a good moment because this is the end of when I can make changes. So next stuff that I see is all in layout. It's really just like if there are little typos here or there, I can correct them. But I no longer get to tweak anything, even if I realize it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, knock on wood, nothing's wrong. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into the the meat of the matter for this episode. Let's talk about some numbers. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So I think um, the easiest way to do this, I've actually um, got in a spreadsheet here and I've been tracking most of these numbers um, in an app called Personal Capital. Um, it's not an app that I use frequently because it takes all of your debt and um, and then kind of bank balances and just gives you one big number. And it's not a fun number for me to look at. So uh, I have it in there and it's something that I can check in on. And I'm excited just to kind of see in with some of their tools, that number start to go uh, towards, towards zero and then eventually into the positive number. But um, what they do a good job of showing is just how that number's changed over time. And so I pulled these numbers from there and, um, I guess we'll go ahead and start off um, with the various kinds of debt. So um, we'll start off with student loans. So I am fortunate enough to not have any student loan debt. Um, and that's mostly um, in part because I did go to an in-state school. So school was cheaper than um, it would have been going to some other schools. And then I also applied for literally every scholarship on the planet. So that went a long way as well. That's awesome. We can talk about how I had a full ride and still came out of school with some debt. <laughs> but fortunately, yeah, I mean, I, I went to Berkeley, which was amazing. But even before the current uh, economic buildup and the crazy housing um, boom that it's been in for the last two decades, it was still a, a stupidly expensive place to live. And so... In the years when I lived off campus, I mean, even on campus housing there is crazy pricey just because the meal plan is so much and everything. But when I lived off campus, I definitely had to pay more in rent and groceries than my stipend covered. And I could work, which I did all through college, but it wasn't totally enough to cover that stuff. And then I'll confess, like I also just had some periods of feeling like, oh, I need slightly nicer clothes because I'm going to school with all these rich kids who are well-dressed and uh, didn't really anticipate that going to a state school would be like that. But the student body at Berkeley is definitely pretty affluent. And so um, there is some weird social pressure there. But I mean, honestly, a lot of my credit card debt and student loan debt was just like for food, right. <laughs> just to not die. A little bit of keeping up with the Joneses and, and, uh, paying for food and things. Yeah. It, in fact, 
my student loans proper were all from freshman year because my dad really wanted me not to work, which I think was the right thing. I, I, between all the partying of freshman year, kind of getting that out of my system, it's a miracle I made it to class at all. And if I'd also had a job, I think that would have been fairly disastrous. So, um, yeah, that was the student loans. I came up with like 10,000 ish. And that was really just to cover the the difference between my scholarship and room and board and books mm-hmm. and things like that. And then the last three years of school, it was more like stuff went on the credit card. So I came out with with both. So yeah, it's scholarships and state schools aren't enough all by themselves to keep you debt free. Right. Yeah. And I also worked. So I worked uh, all four years of school for me and I've only done undergrad. So um you know, I, I worked pretty much immediate. My first semester I joined up at the newspaper and held that job pretty much the entire four years. Um, and so with that, I think in Nevada, we have something called the millennium scholarship, which anyone who goes to, there's a few like, uh, GPA requirements and some kind of like, you had to have lived in Nevada for a certain number of years to, to qualify for it. Um, and it was a bunch of money that came out of a lawsuit, I think with the tobacco companies, mm-hmm. if I recall. Um, and so that is kind of like a huge boon for Nevadans. Uh, I don't know what the state of that is today, but, um, you know, we were kind of, um, we'd be fools to not take advantage of that. And I had some opportunities to go to schools like, um, Loyola in New Orleans. Um, it was like a half ride for orchestra and, you know, the other half was still going to be way more than staying in state. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the other fortunate thing there was if I had been in New Orleans when that, uh, I would have uh, been part of like Hurricane Katrina and all of that as well. So that would have been an interesting, uh, experience. So thankfully stayed in Nevada, um, and, uh, was able to focus on getting s- through school and, and not having any of that debt. And we were talking a little bit about how some people think of um, student debt as uh, bad debt and, you know, the kinds of good debt and bad debt or good reasons to have debt, things like that. And um, what, what are your thoughts on that and kind of going to school versus um, not? I have a lot of thoughts and feels on this. I will try to keep it fairly short uh, because I can get pretty fired up here. But I think there are some really negative schools of thought out there that I, I think harm people. I think one is like the Dave Ramsey thought that all debt is bad and you shouldn't even go into debt to go to college. I think that's absurdly privileged and just nuts, frankly, because like it or not, college is very much the gatekeeper these days to economic opportunity. And yes, you of course, you can always find the stories of someone who dropped out of college after a year and went on to found some big startup that is now worth billions of dollars and like good for them. But those guys are the exceptions, not the rule. And the idea that you can somehow go to Code Academy out of high school and never go to college and have equal economic opportunity is just false. So Yes, those things are great. Yes, those things are a step in the right direction. But for most people, going to college is going to unlock a whole range of things that others don't have access to. So like if you look at unemployment during the Great Recession, the unemployment rate that was really, really high was very much driven by people who hadn't gone to college. People who went to college still had pretty healthy unemployment and didn't face the same kind of economic hardship during the Great Recession. And they've also gotten by and large most of the gains that have come since then. So yeah, it's like if taking out loans is the only way you're going to be able to go to school. 
I have no problem with that. I think the only thing that I wish we would do better is inform young people of options and help them know, like you said, like Loyola, that sounded like a great opportunity, but even with a half ride, it would still be more expensive than your total cost in Nevada. Um, Like, I don't think that we do a good enough job of helping students understand what they're getting themselves into and how long it's going to take them to pay off debt and what that's going to feel like. I think we need to do a better job on that end. But just saying that any college debt is bad is absurd. You know, that that points to like, oh, hey, we have millions and millions of dollars and we're insulated from normal concerns, right. uh, which just isn't reality for most people. Yeah. And I think also educating people on how to get out of debt uh, as quickly as possible after they get that, um, I think is also a big thing. I think a lot of people have a tendency because there's some, um, you know, nice terms around student loans that they can kick that down the road for later to deal with. And sometimes you have to, right? Sometimes you'll get out of school and you won't have a job right away. Um, and, or you're making, you know, just enough to pay for rent and food. And so you have to figure out how to get to a position where you can start to have some leverage over that, uh, so that you can start to tackle it. And I mean, the idea is with that degree, you're going to be able to have more, like you said, economic opportunity and income so that you can get out of it. My, my brother is, is in quite a bit of student loan debt, but he made that considered decision, right. As you know, to become a lawyer and as a lawyer, he has these other opportunities that he wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the stats on how long people tend to be in debt, doctors come out with just about the most because they're in school for a a gajillion years, (laughs) but they also tend to pay it off relatively quickly compared to people who have a four-year degree or, um, you know, lawyers do a good job getting out of debt fast too. But it's, it's, yeah, just looking at the numbers could make it sound scary, but if those bigger numbers give you greater earning potential, then that matters in the equation too. And that's just not stuff that we tend to talk about or, you know, we we assume that young people are dumb and can't do math, which is silly because of course they can. They just right. aren't good at putting things into time perspective. And so we could certainly help with that. Yeah, you could tell I don't feel strongly about this at all. <laughs> I want to hear all of it. Um, let's see. So I think that covers student debt. So the next uh, type of debt I would say, uh, would be like car and house. So for me personally, I um, paid cash for my forerunner. I don't have a car payment, so I don't have that um, over me. And I also am a renter, so I do not have a mortgage. Um, those are other two things that I think, you know, also you need a vehicle and you need a place to live. Um, I think there's people on both sides of the fence that argue about whether or not you should go into debt to get a car or if you should, you know, rent versus buy a house. Um, so I'm in the position where I don't have either of those things. It does mean that I have rent every month, um, and there's no equity building or anything like that. Um, but, um, you know, and I like my car as is, so it's something that I'm going to drive until it blows up. Well done on those. I definitely have financed a car a hundred percent with no down payment. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, our last one. I can see how it's tempting. I mean, we get marketed it all day long everywhere. So, And it's it's funny almost where it seems like you need some kind of official bank thing. Like we have a Subaru Outback that we brought, we bought brand new, which I think is like breaking all the rules of personal finance. But <laughs> when you look at resale values on Subarus, it was going to save us like $2,000 to buy one with 50,000 miles on it. We were like, mm, yeah. no, thank you. So we got a new one, but when I went to buy it, I was expecting to have to call my bank and wire the money. And the dealer was like, oh, you can just write a check. I was like, 
you'll let me drive a brand new car away if I write you a check. (laughs) It felt so, yeah, so sketchy, but they're like, yeah, it's fine. We'll clear it in advance. And like, wait, let me get this straight. I can just write a check. (laughs) Yeah. The answer is yes, you can. What's really interesting too, Subarus and Forerunners um, do they they hold their value in mountain towns very well too. So there's somebody that I know who would buy Forerunners in cities like Las Vegas and Phoenix, drive them up to mountain towns and sell them for a lot more money than what? they can get in. Oh yeah, it's this little arbitrage there, just because you know we have so much snow and you know the demand for those cars. Uh, is huge up here. So people, you know, who see that down there, uh, the other uh, downside is like, there's a lot of two wheel drive forerunners and things too, which you wouldn't want to be driving up here. But um, it was just really interesting and to see that. And he could probably have made a full business out of that if he really wanted to. Wow. That, that shouldn't be surprising. And we did buy our Subaru (laughs) in LA because we got even from the dealer, just a better deal than we would have in Reno or Sacramento or something. Oh yeah. But yeah. Wow. That's crazy. It doesn't surprise me, though. So that's uh, housing and vehicles. So I think the last two here I've got um, are the big ones for me. So credit cards. So these are um, all personal credit cards. I have currently three of them. Um, So I have my I've been with Wells Fargo forever. And so they're my first credit card, I think, probably back in college. Um, and so currently, um, we'll go ahead and just list off the cards that I've got. So I've got the Wells Fargo card. Um, I have the Chase, um, Southwest card, um, which I probably fell for some kind of, you know, Southwest promotion since I mostly fly Southwest for that one. Um, and then because I also wanted a more like hotel type card, um, I have an Amex, uh, SPG card. Mm -hmm. So with those three cards, um, unfortunately right now they're all pretty much at like full capacity of balance. Um, it's something that I've been kind of, like we talked about last episode, using as a means of filling in all the income gaps that I've had, um, from either freelancing or startups. Uh, and so between all three cards, I have a total of $27,648. So that's going to be the number that is now officially in the podcast and one that we are going to focus on making sure that goes down. Congrats for putting it out there. That's very brave. Thank you. Yeah. So it's, I think I've heard higher numbers than that from other people. Um, it's not a number that I feel like is too unwieldy. Um, it's also a number that's prevented me from opening any new cards. So I'm not adding to that. Um, and, uh, I think, the only other thing that I have going on is that I have um, debt as pertaining to um, the IRS. So that's something that is unfortunately also a priority over the credit cards that has to be taken care of. Uh, and so that number is sixteen and a half thousand dollars and that has to be taken care of before the next uh, tax deadline. And the next tax deadline is about three months off. Is that right? Um, so we're looking at, uh, April, so more of the personal, so that's what, five, five months off. Yeah. Gotcha. I thought you meant the next quarterly withholding thing. Right. Yeah. So to kind of expand on that, so that debt is, uh, as a freelancer, you have to pay your, um, quarterly estimated taxes and you're supposed to do it quarterly. Uh, I would recommend if you are a freelancer or any kind of 1099 employee that, 
you do whatever you can to set up a system of hiding that, you know, portion of money from yourself every paycheck so that you or every job, whatever your income is, so that you can pay that on a quarterly basis. Um, I know some people who do what I do, which is we hold on to it until the end of the year and we do it all at once. Uh, and unfortunately, in my case, and, you know, things come up and sometimes I dip into that money, which I know I shouldn't. Uh, and, and I did in this case. And so I need to recoup that and get it paid. Um, so I've filed with the, the IRS and basically gave them a date for when that would be paid. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's interesting because even though it's not the same as freelancing, now that Mark and I don't have official jobs and are just doing little projects here and there, we have to now do estimated taxes. And it's been, yeah, it's been a whole new world. But it's interesting how many folks, if you bring this up, how many people will say, oh, just hang on to all the money and just pay it in April and pay the penalty. And, you know, that's better than giving the IRS a free loan, which one I totally disagree with. Because if it's it's far better to get a refund if you're going to then save that money than it is to have to come up a whole, with a whole bunch and scramble at some point and potentially put stuff on credit cards to pay for it or go into debt further in some way. Right. Um, I'd rather give the loans for free, but not have to make bad decisions. <laughs> But yeah, I would say one of those is the more relaxed and methodical way of doing it. I have a feeling that the people who say to hold on to it, they tend to have the same kind of income that fluctuates. And so when you have that money that, you know, in my case, like a client finally pays you, you know, sometimes clients don't pay on time, sometimes projects don't work out. So when you do finally get paid to have to say like, oh, well, part of this has to go away, you know, after you worked on all that you know, that money is not all your money and you have to change that, uh, you know, relationship with it and say like, you're going to just take 20 to 25% of it, you know, depending on what your estimated taxes are going to be and just hide it from yourself and pay it quarterly so that you don't have it. In my case, I was tempted by it. You know, I didn't get paid and I had to dip into it. And now I'm in that position of scrambling, which doesn't feel as good as getting that refund that, you know, is like this, you know, accidental savings as mm-hmm. well for later. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I also think there's just something in it, like regardless of fluctuating income, there, you know, there are just some folks who don't want to give the government money and yeah, and are just Ever. looking to prolong it <laughs> as much as possible. But I'm like, that's cool. Except you end up paying more. Wouldn't you rather pay less? <laughs> yeah. Some people argue that the penalty is so low, but it, it is still a penalty because those taxes were due in the quarters that they were due. They weren't due, you know, on the, in, mm-hmm. on April 15th. Um, so I, I would, again, we'll talk about this a lot more. We'll probably do a whole thing about freelance in- income and, and, and taxes and things like that in the future. But um, it's something that I've been doing this year so that I not only am I catching up with last year and by April, but making sure that when April comes around, that I'm not having to then do that again for the Mm -hmm. next uh, for this year. So I've been doing that. um, And it does make a huge difference. You know, it makes it so that you um, in my case, I opened another bank account, another savings account, and I move money to that so that it makes it harder for me to touch it. Um, and there are even apps for this. There's an app called B-Solo, B-S-O-L-O.com that you can pay. You know, it, it's funny to think about, but you pay like I think it's $12 a month and they detect your income and then 
automatically move money between your two accounts. Um, I think it might actually be their own account. So in some cases, you're giving them a temporary loan so that then they can pay on your behalf. Um, but if you need that system, that system exists out there that someone has built and can keep you accountable. To that, that sounds useful. Okay. So I think in total, that gives me a number uh, just shy of $45,000. So that's $44,148 uh, in the episode two, big number episode. Uh, we have a line in the sand now. How does it feel to have that number out there? Um, feels good. I think it's not something that I'm embarrassed by. I think like we've talked about, people have debt. Um, I think it's just changing my relationship to it and taking responsibility for it and making sure that one, it doesn't grow. And, and uh, now we can start to think about how to start tackling it. And you said that the tax piece is due first. So are you thinking Correct. about just kind of conceptually thinking about piling up cash so that you have it to pay that bill next April? Or do you have another vision for that? So I think we'll have an update on this because uh, so I filed my extension and the IRS is going to be contacting me any day now, I'm assuming. Um, so we have a conversation to have about that. I have a feeling it's going to be um, spread out over the next five months. So um, it's a pretty big number to get to in just five months. And so I have to figure out like what that's going to look like, um, you know, income and expense wise. So I think if it ends up being, you know, it may end up being that they'll extend that number out. So it's not all due on April 15th and, you know, maybe say a certain amount of money per month for the next X number of months. Um, You know, fortunately it's something that I'm coming to them with um, and not hiding the fact that I owe this to them. And so I'm trying to figure out kind of what their, place of operation is for that. Like what, what do they normally do in this situation? Uh, other than just saying all of this is due now, which obviously they could do as well. So we'll have to see where that goes, but yeah, that will kind of have to be the priority, but I would also like to create a little bit of a buffer on the credit cards so that, um, you know, every month that the interest charge comes in, that that number is not just coming up against the, the maximum balance for each of those. Yeah, that makes sense. And you should be able to, if you had to, negotiate a payment plan with the IRS. And that might yeah. be something worth looking into sooner so that you could also still be doing, making some progress against the credit card since those are high interest, I'm sure. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, and we can look at, um, in a future episode, we can look at the interest rates and kind of what features are on each of these cards. Um, but I think that's probably going to be what comes up um, is that we'll just get on a payment plan and um, that way I can focus on the high interest cards or, you know, there's the different tactics of focusing on the highest interest or focusing on the biggest balance or the smallest balance and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, Cause I do want to, you know, not make the show just Colin's paying back the IRS <laughs> for the next couple months and then switching over to credit cards. <laughs> yeah. It, and it'll feel satisfying too, to see those credit card balance numbers get smaller and see more room, like you said, the buffer. So yeah, that's the numbers. Um, I think next week we're going to talk about goals now that we have a line in the sand and um, numbers to talk to. And I'm going to publish these on the website. um, So you can check those out at howyouspendyourdays.com. We'll go ahead and put up um, some, we'll just start a new graph basically of, you know, day one being today, 
um, and going forward, or I guess week one being today, and then we can start talking about goals and, and I'll also publish what those goals are. Um, and hopefully by then I'll have also talked to the IRS and we can have a sense of what that payment plan will look like so we can incorporate that into, into the goals as well. Good stuff. So if you want to follow along, we've got uh, the website, howyouspendyourdays.com. And I also uh, broke down and created a Twitter, uh, which is uh, at (laughs) howyouspend. So uh, at howyouspendyourdays was too long for Twitter. Um, And I was surprised that howyouspend was still available. But uh, so you can follow along there, um, send any questions or comments there as well. And um, where can we find you online, Tanya? Uh, you can find me at OurNextLife.com and at Our underscore Next Life on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. So that will wrap it up for uh, episode two. Thanks, Tanya. Thanks, Colin. See ya. See ya. Music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Blue Dot Sessions.